Well, now I'd invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. It's toward the end of the New Testament. Uh, there's only a few books in the Bible after uh, Hebrews. Hebrews uh, doesn't have a, an explicit author. We're not exactly sure who wrote the book. Some uh, uh, early uh, Christian uh, fathers and pastors and scholars thought that maybe Paul was the writer of this letter to the Hebrews, but uh, he doesn't say so explicitly like he does in many of his other letters. So we don't have an explicit author. Some people think maybe Barnabas, uh, Paul's missionary companion at one point, wrote Hebrews. Others think maybe that uh, uh, Luke, the gospel writer and the writer of Acts, perhaps wrote Hebrews. But what we do know about Hebrews is that it seems to be written to a predominantly Jewish Christian audience. Jews who, uh, in the early days after Jesus, came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah that they had waited for, given their life to Christ, now walking faithfully as Christians, uh, are receiving this, this uh, letter. It's almost like a, an extended sermon, if you will, encouraging them to, uh, to continue to live and to follow Jesus as their, uh, as their Lord. Now, we begin today in Hebrews. Uh, we'll be in several other passages as the weeks go by. A five-week sermon series called I Will, Five Commitments of Every Christian. And, and today we're looking at the first of those commitments, which is I will worship with my church family. Now, I want to begin this uh, series and my sermon today by stating some of my presuppositions. Okay, I have some foundational commitments that are guiding uh, my, our, my approach to God's word and to the commitments that every, uh, I believe every Christian ought to make. And those presuppositions, those guiding principles in my life, those convictions are these. Number one, that local church membership is normal. Right? For a Christian to belong to a body of believers, to be known by name and counted among uh, them as part of their family of faith is normal. And we see that it's normal even as early as the end of Acts chapter 2 and the end of Acts chapter 4. As we see the church growing, we see more, belie- more people coming to faith in Jesus. They are gathering together, sharing life together. They're worshiping together. They're sharing things in common with one another. They're known by one another. Local church membership is normal. And so I know some of us may come from other churches or other church backgrounds where the churches uh, that maybe we come from uh, didn't practice a formal membership. Uh, but here at First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque, we do. We like to know who has committed their life to Christ and to uh, fulfilling the Great Commission as a part of our church family. So first of all, local church membership is normal. Second, local church membership is vital for every Christian. It is vital for Christians to be known by other Christians, not just to worship anonymously, but to worship, to gather with, to grow in a known way with other believers. It is good for you all to know where I am in my faith and in my walk with Christ. It is not good for me to be anonymous amongst a a large group of Christians. If I'm anonymous in a, in a room this size, if most people don't know me or I don't have a relational connection with most of you in this room, there's no way for me to receive the accountability, the encouragement, this specific sort of help in walking with Jesus that I and every Christian needs. So I believe that local church membership is vital for every Christian. And my third presupposition, my third conviction is this, that every church member must be a Christian. I say that differently. There are no non-Christian church members. 
Okay, to be a member of a church is to say that I agree with. uh, Well, let me say it this way: to be a member of First Baptist West Albuquerque is to say I agree with the confession of this body that Jesus is Lord. I've repented of my sins. I'm trusting him for salvation. I'm asking for the help of the congregation and, and, and giving my help to the congregation that we all may look more like Christ tomorrow than we do today and more like Christ today than we did yesterday. So local church membership is normal. Local church membership is vital for every Christian and every church member must be a Christian. That is to say, there are no non-Christian church members. Now, today we're looking at the first of these five commitments of every Christian. Now that I've uh, uh, sort of laid out the foundation for what I believe uh, is, uh, is sort of guiding this sermon series, we come to this first commitment that I will worship with my church family. We know that Christians are those who are committed to Christ and to his body, to his bride, the church. And that commitment involves, first, a corporate emphasis, uh, a gathered emphasis upon bringing glory to God as the body of Christ. Against the common temptation to be a lone ranger or an anonymous kind of Christian, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, which we'll look at in just a moment, commands believers to be committed to worship together. I pray that as a result of looking at Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 this morning, that we would, as a church body, as members of First Baptist West Albuquerque, make worshiping with our church family an expected and regular part of our walk with Christ and our life with one another. Let's look with uh, let's look together then at Acts cha- or Hebrews, excuse me, chapter ten, verses nine through twenty-five. Would you stand with me as we honor God by reading His Word? The author of Hebrews writes this: Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is through His flesh, and since we have a great Uh, priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And God add blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. From the earliest days at the end of Acts chapter 2, we find Christians immediately beginning to gather together for worship. Worship of God and the preaching of his word. I would submit to you this morning that if the first Christians knew the importance and vitality of being known by one another as members of the same local assembly of believers, if they knew the value of worshiping together on the first day of the week, then we have few, if no reasons, to think that church membership and worshiping as a church is not a vital, is not a, a vital uh, part of our uh, time together. I want to point out three things that I think Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25 are declaring, are saying to us, teaching us about worship is. First of all, in verses 19 through 22, we see that worship is for true Christians. Worship is for true Christians. 
In these verses, 19 through 22, the author of Hebrews, still unnamed, takes us back to the the Old Testament pattern of worship in the tabernacle and in the temple. In these verses, the author of Hebrews, speaking to Jewish Christians, calls them to draw near in truth and in true faith. He does this by demonstrating how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has brought about the fulfillment of the sacrificial system of worship which was given by God and practiced by Jews for centuries prior to Christ's coming. In that system, in that Old Testament system of worship, there was first a tent. We know it as the tabernacle constructed by the Israelites during the wilderness wandering period under the leadership of Moses. And later there was a permanent temple located in Jerusalem where all of the formal and corporate worship of God would take place. The temple itself was segmented. Some of you are familiar with the kind of the architecture, the arrangement of the temple. There was uh, an outer wall that enclosed a sort of inner court. And inside that temple court, uh, all Jewish people, all people who are uh, members of the nation of Israel could enter into that into that court. In there, there was an altar for sacrificing sin offerings. There was a large basin of water where the priests would ceremonially wash themselves before entering into the temple itself. And then inside the temple, there were two different rooms. The first room was larger and kind of rectangular, about twice as long as it was wide. And in that larger room, only the priests uh, from among the Jews could enter. The next room uh, beyond that first room was smaller. It was a, a square room, just as wide as it was long. And it was separated from the first room by a large and very dense curtain. This inner room we know was called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. It was the place where the Ark of the Covenant, that uh, that box overlaid with gold with sculpted cherubim sitting on top, uh, containing the tablets of the Ten Commandments and um, uh, Aaron's staff and some jars of manna from the wilderness period. It's where the, the, the Ark of the Covenant resided inside that most holy place. In the Holy of Holies... The high priest could enter this room once and only once a year. So this one small room at the, at the very back, if you will, of the temple was only ever occupied by a human being one time, one day out of each year. And when it was time for the high priest to enter, he would go in through that very dense curtain and he would offer the blood of a goat, which was sacrificed for the sins of the people of Israel for their collective atonement and forgiveness. Now, the writer of Hebrews here in verses 19 through 22 of chapter 10 says that unlike the one high priest who could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year, that rather we all who are placing faith in Jesus have a confidence to enter the most holy place of God's very presence almost at our own will, if you will. And we have that confidence to enter into the presence of God, not through the blood of bulls and goats sacrificed for our sins, but through the blood and mediation of the greatest high priest, the only perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who gave his sinless life as a permanent sacrifice for sins. So then there is now, as the writer of Hebrews is saying, there's no barrier to worship God for those that Jesus mediates for. If Jesus is your great high priest, if he is the one that you are trusting to bring you to the Father, uh, there is no one now keeping you from relationship, from, from clear and open worship of God. Because of Jesus, we can worship God with confidence and not fear of his judgment. 
We can enter into the presence of God without fear that he'll punish our sins the moment that he sets his sight upon us. But rather that when he sees us as we have trusted in Christ, he sees the righteousness of his son, which was given to us as we trusted him for our salvation. But this kind of confident worship is only for certain people. Verse 22 says, and I'll I'll explain what I mean by that in just a moment. Verse 22 says then, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Who are the certain people that can draw near with such confidence to God in worship? Well, they are these, those who have a true, uh, uh, who draw near with a true heart and in full assurance of our faith whose hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. The author of Hebrews is explaining a couple of different things to us in this verse. First, he is explaining that drawing near to God requires a heart that is sincere and genuinely submitted to Jesus. So when I say worship is for true Christians, what I mean is confident worship entering into the presence of God is for those who have genuinely submitted their lives to Jesus. Secondly, the author of Hebrews is saying that drawing near to God requires being certain of the things that we have believed about Jesus. So it's not just merely believing the facts about Jesus and saying, yeah, I'll I'll walk in that direction with Jesus. It is being totally certain of everything that the Bible says about Jesus, believing that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what scripture said uh, he did for us and totally giving our lives over to him. So then worship is not for pretenders, but for true Christians who have sincerely and confidently placed their faith in Jesus. Now, the invitation to worship, however, is not just to Christians. The invitation to worship God is for everybody. To everyone, we, like the author of Hebrews, say, come and worship your creator with us. Trust Jesus who died to bring forgiveness for your sins. Jesus who rose from the dead to make us right with our father in heaven. Believe with certainty the person of Jesus as we have, who claimed to be God in flesh and rose from the dead to prove it. Worship is for true Christians, but the invitation to worship is for everyone. In the worship of the local church, true, true, true Christians are gathering together, gathering near, drawing near to God with sincere hearts and confidence in our faith. And we proclaim to those who are not yet Christians, this is all what we do on Sunday mornings when we sing songs and hear the word and study God's word together. This is all because of Jesus. Would you please join us? We would love for you to join us. Knowing this morning that worship is for true Christians, I encourage, I would exhort you to commit then to worshiping God with sincerity of heart and confidence of faith. Commit to worshiping uh, God with sincerity of heart and confidence of faith. You know, 2,000 years ago in the Greco-Roman world, uh, they had their forms of entertainment much like we do today. They didn't have movie theaters, but they did have amphitheaters and playhouses where, uh, where plays would be conducted. And actors would take the stage and they would act out a play and the people would be entertained. Now, they didn't have all of the wonderful, I guess, advancements of, uh, you know, uh, having hair and makeup uh, uh, technicians behind stage to help them to look and to appear as a certain part. But they would wear masks over their faces to uh, tell the, the people who were watching the play what character they were playing. And these were often very ornate 
masks that made it very clear who the, who the person was depicting, what character in the play the actor was depicting. These actors then, because they wore these masks and spoke from behind these masks, were referred to, were, uh, were called by a compound word in Greek, meaning an interpreter from underneath. Do you know what that compound word in Greek, which means an interpreter from underneath is? Hippocrates. It's the same word from which we get our English word hypocrite. Let me say this as clearly and graciously as I can. There is no room for worship of God by hypocrites, by actors, by those who are pretending with insincerity to be one thing while underneath are something else altogether. There is no space for people to worship God with their lips or, or, or to appear to worship God with their lips while their hearts are still very far from him. There are no pretend Christians. There ought not ever be any pretend Christians and there ought not be any pretense in our worship. We should never be interpreting from underneath. We should never be hypocritical in our worship. The words of our mouths should match the intention of our hearts. And so we should, as true Christians... Worship with sincerity and assurance of faith, honestly proclaiming with our lips the very things that we are committed to in our hearts. Now, listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I am not saying that you are a hypocrite for being here. In fact, this is probably one of the the best places you can be this morning. You will hear the gospel this morning. You will hear the good news of how God sent his son to die for your sins and was raised again to make you right with him. Your presence, if you're not a Christian in this worship service this morning, is not hypocritical unless you are pretending to be a Christian, saying you are a Christian while inwardly knowing that you are not. So if you're not a Christian and you're here and you sing the songs and you listen to the word as is preached and you are genuinely seeking God to reveal truth to you today, thank God that you are here and you are not a hypocrite this morning. But friend, if you are one who calls yourself a Christian and knows in your heart, though, that you have not ever really submitted to Christ as king, you run the risk of being a hypocrite today. So then commit, starting now, to walk a life of, of repentance. Turn back in, in faith and obedience to Jesus and worship from a true and sincere heart. Worship is for true Christians. Second, verse 23 shows us that worship is for confessing Christian truth. The purpose of worship is for confessing what is true about our faith. Look at verse 23. The author of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, having already described how it is that we have been brought near to God by faith in Jesus, the writer of Hebrews encourages his Jewish Christian audience not only to draw near to God in worship, but in worshiping to hold fast, to hold tightly to the confession of their hope. Here he's giving some direction toward the content of their worship. What should it be that they proclaim as they gather together to worship? Well, the confession of their hope. The hope that the Christian has, the hope that the author of Hebrews is referring to, is is far more than just wishful thinking. Hope, in the Christian sense, is a confident expectation of the results of our faith. True Christians believe that Jesus is the Son of God. True Christians believe that Jesus died for sins and rose again. True Christians believe that Jesus is Lord of all, and they have entrusted their lives to Him as Lord. We have submitted our lives to Him. And because of what we believe about Jesus, we have a hope. We have a confident expectation that because Jesus rose from the dead, that he will raise us also. Our hope 
is for the completion of our salvation from sin and from death when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead and to raise to everlasting life those who believed and hoped in him in this life. That is our hope. Our hope is the resurrection and eternal life with Jesus. And the confession of that hope is to be the content of our worship together. Worship is for confessing Christian truth. Now, these Jewish Christians that the author of Hebrews is writing to are to, as he says, hold fast to the confession of their hope in their lives together. Certainly, this is no less than what happens when Christians worship. In our singing, we sing of the good news of our salvation by God's grace. His grace received through faith in Christ. We sing also of the hope of being made holy in this life. That process we call sanctification, whereby the Holy Spirit of God is working Christ-likeness into us and into our character, as well as being raised to eternal life. When we open God's word together in worship, and as it is taught to us, we remind ourselves of our collective commitment and our collective proclamation that Jesus is Lord. The content of our worship is a regular confession of the most important truth that the Bible proclaims, the gospel. The content of our worship every week should be nothing less than the gospel. Would you hear with me the confession that Paul calls the church at Corinth to hold fast to? He writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, of the good news I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. The the most important thing Paul could tell the Corinthians is what he's about to relate to them again. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So there it is. The content of our hopeful confession. Christ is risen. Jesus saves from sins all who trust their lives to him. So that is the the content of our hopeful confession. But there is also the motivation for holding fast to that confession. Which is the faithfulness of God. The reason we hold fast to, the reason we remind ourselves of what is true about our faith is because God who promised to save us by his grace is and will be faithful to make good on his promise. God is not a man that he should lie, scripture says. Everything that every word that comes out of the mouth of God, every promise that he gives will come true. He will make good on it, including our salvation. And so we have the content of our, the confession of our hope that Christ is risen. Jesus is Lord. Our lives are given over to him. We look forward to the resurrection and eternal life with him. And then we have the motivation to make that confession each and every week because God who is faithful will be faithful to bring about the results of what he has promised. God is trustworthy and we can anchor our lives uh, on the hope that God gives without ever wavering because he has proved his faithfulness to save us even as he raised his own son from the grave the greatest possible demonstration of his saving power and faithful love was his his raising Jesus from the dead dear friend there is no greater demonstration of God's love for you than in Christ's death and his resurrection from the grave to save you from sin God is faithful to save and his faithfulness motivates us to confess the hope of our salvation week after week after week after week after week worship 
is for confessing Christian truth, namely the gospel. So Christian member of First Baptist West Albuquerque, commit to making Christ and the gospel your consistent and confident declaration in corporate worship. Commit to making Jesus and the good news of how he has saved us from our sin, your weekly confident declaration and proclamation every week when we gather together to worship. Uh, I really enjoy, uh, uh, as, as part of my preparation week to week, Monday mornings. I know a lot of people don't like Monday mornings because the weekend's over, you got to go back to work. Uh, but Monday is fun day for me. Because Monday morning, Pastor Danny and I get together for a couple hours and we open God's word together. We look at the text that will be in the, the next coming week. We read it together. We uh, do our very best to, to understand it clearly. We begin thinking about how does this text, how does this passage of God's word uh, intersect with the lives of, of you, our, uh, our congregation? How can we encourage? How can we challenge? How can we bring conviction of sin and, and godly encouragement to walk in righteousness to you? We spend some time thinking about what songs we may sing that next coming morning, songs that will, that will support and undergird and point us back to the, the constant message of the text that we'll be in. I love Monday mornings because I get to work with my brother in ministry to plan out how we will confess Christ and the gospel together each and every week. I love worshiping with you, my church family, each and every week as week by week we declare the gospel to ourselves and to the world yet again. We will never grow old of this gospel. We'll never outgrow this gospel. We'll never grow beyond the need for confessing our hope of eternal life as God raises us from the dead in Christ Jesus. And so knowing that, we want to make that the substance, the center, the consistent confession of everything that we do as a church, worship is for confessing Christian truth. So Christian, commit to making Christ and the gospel your consistent and confident declaration in worship. I dare say, demand it of your pastors. Demand it of those who lead you in worship to lead you to the gospel, to a, another reminder of the gospel and the importance of centrality of Christ in all things. Demand that of me. If you're not a member of First Baptist West Albuquerque, maybe you're a member of a, another church in another state, you're traveling through this week or uh, whatever the case may be, demand that of your pastors in that place. Expect of your leaders to make Christ and the gospel the consistent confession of every worship service. Now, I don't mean by that that every worship service should be exactly the same. Right? We, we look at different passages of Scripture each and every week. We work through whole books of the Bible. Later this year, as we finish this series, we're going to be in the book of James. Earlier this year, we were in the book of uh, Genesis. In the summer, we were in the Psalms. But week after week, even as we're understanding and looking at every passage of Scripture that we're looking at, we are seeing how it points us ultimately to Jesus and to the hope of salvation that we have by faith in Him. So commit to making Christ in the gospel your consistent declaration in worship and demand it, expect it of those who are leading you in worship. Third and finally, we see in verses 24 and 25 that worship is for regular Christian encouragement. Worship is for regular Christian encouragement. The writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, that is, the final day of Christ's return, as you see the day drawing near. 
Here in these last verses, the author of Hebrews exhorts, he encourages, he, he calls to commitment his Jewish Christian brothers and sisters to commit themselves to encourage one another intentionally, that means on purpose, and regularly toward love and good works. He says, let us consider how to stir up, how to spur on, how to provoke, how to stimulate, how to motivate one another to love, supreme love for God and sacrificial love for others and to good works. Particularly, I think the good work of sharing the gospel, of declaring the hope that we have in Jesus with those who don't yet know him. Christian worship is more than merely singing songs and learning what the Bible says. Christian worship goes a step further to say, given what we've learned from the word and reminded ourselves about the gospel, then let's get about doing it. Christian worship goes a step further to say, not just this is what we've learned, but it it all goes a step further to say, this is what we must do. It goes a step further to say, here is what I'm going to do this week to love God and to love others more deeply. Christian worship goes a step further to say, here's what I'm going to do to reconcile strained relationships this week. Christian worship goes a step further to say, this is how I'm going to share, declare the gospel with others at my workplace or in my home. Christians who worship come to the right sort of conclusions to approach their brothers and sisters in faith to say, brother, out of having worshiped God and and grown in faithfulness to him, can I pray with you today about your hurts? Sister, can I encourage you to forgive your friend as God and Christ has forgiven you? The result of Christian worship of encouraging one another is to gather together to say to one another, fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, members of our faith family, we must not be content to merely consume content. We must not be complacent to be consumers in church. We must not be complacent to be entertained in worship, but to pour out our lives in love for one another, to serve other believers, to strive, to work, to fight, to be more ready and to be more bold with the message of Jesus when we leave this place. So worship is not just something to do on Sunday morning. Worship is a part of the heartbeat, the rhythm, the the inhaling and exhaling of the Christian life as we come together to hear from God's word and to encourage one another to live it out. Worship is for spurring one another on this way. But it cannot happen with any consistency if Christians neglect to meet regularly. This is what we read in verse 25. We read this warning that the author of Hebrews gives. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, it would seem that some Christians, even in the earliest years of Christianity, were already finding better things to do than to meet with other Christians for worship and encouragement in Christ week after week. I ask in the most ironic of tones, can you imagine such a thing? Christians finding better things to do than to meet together to worship Christ, to confess their faith, and and to equip one another to be more effective gospel witnesses? Is this, could this really be happening? And yet we know that it's true, not just for the recipients of this letter to the Hebrews, but it's true even in our church context today. There are Christians who find better things to do on Sunday morning, then worship with other Christians to be encouraged by God's word, to be edified by it, and then to encourage one another to love God and share the gospel more. The phrase preaching to the choir today, I don't wish I had one. We should get some chairs up here every now and then. I'd like to turn around and preach to the choir. 
The phrase preaching to the choir implies that someone is trying to convince uh, uh, an audience of a truth of which they are already convinced and committed. I trust that your presence here this morning communicates to me and to everyone else that you're already convinced and committed of the priority of worshiping with other Christians every week. I trust this morning, by and large, that I am preaching to the choir. Okay. All the same, we have seen over the last uh, several years in churches all across North America and, and, and in the West, uh, a dip, a decline in what we would call regular church attendance. There was a day and a time where regular church attendance meant you were in church twice a week, every week. Now, regular church attendance means you're in church twice a month. One study by churchleaders.com finds that only 23 to 25 percent of Americans attend church regularly, defining regularly as three weeks out of eight. That's less than 50 percent. I don't know how less than 50% is anything uh, uh, approaching regular, but that's how they have defined it. This slump in regular church attendance, regular worship uh, engagement uh, is something that we need to be aware of and we need to regularly fight against. Now, in this world that, that seeks to entertain us at every turn, we, we have constant and endless streams of entertainment, things grabbing for our attention, things that, that want to steal our, our gaze uh, and, and, and fix our eyes upon them for a period of time. In this culture in which we live, we have to make a fundamental shift about what we believe is true and what is the purpose of worshiping together. That what we do here is not to be entertained. It is to be edified. It is not to consume content, but to become those who are pouring out our lives in love and service to God and to others, getting the gospel to those who have not yet trusted Jesus yet. Our, our worship uh, week to week is not like going to the movie theater to watch Saving Private Ryan or Toy Story 4 or whatever is showing. Uh, Saving Private Ryan was like 30 years ago. Um, whatever happens to be showing at the, at the local cineplex, right? That's not what we're doing. And that's not what I'm trying to do. I don't want to entertain you, neither does Pastor Danny, every week as we lead you in worship. Because I know that there are far better sources of entertainment. There are far funnier jokes and far better looking people to set your eyes upon than me every week. But that's not my goal. I don't want to entertain you. I want to lead us all, myself included, to be more like Christ, more ready to share the gospel with Jesus tomorrow morning as we go to work and send our kids to school and volunteer in classrooms and with different organizations. That's why we're here. This is not a movie theater. This is, this is, uh, this is the war room. Right? This is where we're strategizing, where we're, we're getting our, our thoughts together for how we are going to strategically take the gospel to the places it has not gone yet. This is the place where we gather together. It's like the, the locker room after a, a tough game where we watch some film and we think about what went well and what went poorly and how we can be edified by our chief shepherd and head coach, Jesus Christ. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to be made ready to share the gospel, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, Monday through Saturday. Amen. Having said that, my final exhortation to you this morning is to make a commitment. If you're a Christian, and especially if you're a member of First Baptist West Albuquerque, make a commitment to worship weekly with your church family. Make a commitment to worship weekly with your church family. Knowing that worship is for true Christians, 
And that worship is for confessing Christian truth. And that worship is for regular Christian encouragement. Make this commitment to worship weekly with your church family. There should be no question about what you're going to do next Sunday morning from the hours of 9 and 12 o'clock. Right? In our, in our home, that commitment's already made. Right? We've already blocked off Sunday morning from here until Jesus comes. Okay? We have a commitment. We know what we're doing. We know where we're going to be. Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision, some have said. I don't think it's a Saturday night decision. I think it's an everyday decision. Every day you have to prioritize and to know that come Sunday, I'm going to worship with my faith family because I need encouragement. And there are others in my church family who need encouragement from me. And we all together need to remind ourselves of the gospel that has saved us. There's a rising trend that is uh, um, communicated in a four-letter acronym called FOMO. FOMO stands for fear of missing out. Some of you know what that is. It is illustrated or or most commonly seen among uh, people on social media. And it's not just younger people, it's older people too, who are on social media and they see their friends living, you know, different kinds of lives and being involved in this thing or that thing and taking picture of their food at this or that restaurant or whatever. And yet they're not with their friends at those experiences. And so they're watching on social media. There are other friends living these lives that they wish that they could live. And all of a sudden they have this, this just overcoming fear of missing out on life. Oh, Freddie's over in Italy again. I'm just missing out. I've never been to Italy and I can't. I just, I'm missing out on something. So-and-so went to that movie yesterday, but they didn't invite me. I'm missing out on something. This fear of missing out, FOMO, does not just apply itself. We don't see it just working out in this lack of, of committing to things because we're afraid of missing out on other things. That's not just a social media phenomenon. It's a church phenomenon too. There are people who won't commit to worshiping regularly with their church family on Sunday morning because they're afraid of missing out on something better somewhere else. I don't know if I can commit to going to that church because this other church across town has this or that going on. And, and if I commit to this church, then I can't go to that church. And all of a sudden we have this like cafeteria buffet style Christianity where we worship with 17 different congregations throughout the year. We're not known by any of them and we're not giving our lives in service to any of them. This fear of missing out drives us to do crazy things like staying in bed on Sunday morning. I can think of no better example of one who committed to worshiping weekly with their church family than Amelia Stover, Miss Bunny, who passed away just a few weeks ago. Those of you who knew Bunny knew that, gosh, for decades, she struggled with this very complex, very rare uh, health condition that had kind of cascading symptoms that all played off one another and made it very difficult uh, for her health-wise. She was in and out of the hospital more times in the last year than most of us will probably uh, do in our entire lives. In earlier part of this year, she went on hospice care as she was living at the Beehive home, just not too far from here. And as time went on and her condition worsened, uh, she was more and more rarely able to make it to worship on Sunday morning. But I tell you this, if Bunny Stover had the strength to get out of bed on Sunday morning, she was here. Even in the last days of her life, she did not suffer from FOMO. Because she knew that on Sunday morning, there was no better place to be than in worship with her church family. And let me just say a a specific and special thank you to those of you who would drive to pick Miss Bunny up to bring her here. 
right? Her commitment to worship every Sunday was facilitated by your commitment to love and to serve her, to do what she knew she needed to do. So thank you so much for sacrificing your time and your gas and everything to pick her up and to bring her here. You blessed her and you have blessed our church by serving her that way. Knowing what Christian worship is, knowing who it is for and what it is that we do, commit to worshiping weekly with your church family, friends. Richard Foster, author who writes a lot about spiritual formation, spiritual discipline, says this, that to worship is to know, to feel, to experience the resurrected Christ in the midst of the gathered community. It is a breaking into the glory of God, or better yet, being invaded by the glory of God. If that is true of Christian worship, there's no better place to be than with your church family worshiping every Sunday morning. Friends and uh, fellow members of this church family, I pray that our time in Hebrews 10 this morning has not been guilt-inducing, but rather spiritually reorienting. God does not command regular worship of the gathered body of believers because he's a killjoy, because he, he knows it's boring and he enjoys making you bored. But God commands regular Christian worship because he loves us and he intends for us to grow in Christ likeness together as we glorify him. I pray that our text today, that Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 would challenge you, that it would convict you and that it would affirm your, your convictions and commitments that you already have today. I hope it would challenge us to reprioritize Sunday morning worship in our, our personal lives and the lives of our family. I pray that this passage would convict us of what is most important for us to do when we worship, to declare the gospel again. And I pray that this passage this morning would affirm that we who are trusting Christ are being obedient to him as we gather each week to hold fast our confession and to encourage one another to love and good works. First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque, my commitment to you is that I will gladly and regularly worship with you each week. Will you make this commitment with me as a follower of Christ? Let's pray together.